Good morning. Welcome each one here this morning. You know, this morning I was in a little bit of a quandary. I, all week I'd been thinking of a subject that I was thinking about sharing. And this morning it seemed like I had very clear direction to speak on something different. And, uh, but the problem that I run into when I do that, or when that happens to me, is that I get up front and my brain is all scrambled. So I would invite your prayers this morning very much in that the Holy Spirit would direct the words and that whatever is shared would be from him. You know, this morning in devotions, as uh, Conrad was reading, I was kind of scanning the before and after parts of the chapter, and his, there was a man there that jumped out, or a name that jumped out at me, and this man was a priest, he was the high priest there, and Josiah the king was eight years old when he started to be king. Now I have an eight-year-old daughter, and I can tell you that this country would be in tremendous chaos if she was the president. So I don't know what was like in Judah at, when Josiah was eight years old and he was the king. But a few years later, he commissioned them to clean out the temple. He had a heart that was after God. And there was, uh, the priest was Hilkiah. He was the high priest. Shaphan was the scribe. Shaphan was the one that would actually read what was in the law. But they had lost the book of the law. Can you believe it? They lost their Bible. Just lost it. And they found it in a storage closet. And the reason they lost it was because Josiah's dad was a really bad man. And his name was Manasseh. Now Manasseh was Hezekiah's son. And Manasseh was... He was such a bad man that God said he was going to wipe Jerusalem like a man wipes a dish. Just wipe it, just wipe it out. And uh, Manasseh was such a bad man that God sent uh, the Babylonian king over there and he hauled him off to Babylon and stuck him in jail for a while. And then he let him come back and be king. That was kind of a funny thing to do, but he let him come back and be king. And then he was a good, a good king. But his son, Josiah, was, I think it was his son, Josiah, was a, uh, was a good king. Now, I might, I might be off a generation there, actually. <clears throat> but Josiah had these guys going and cleaning out the temple. And Hilkiah, the priest, the high priest, found the book of the law. And he brought it. Him and Shaphan, the scribe, came and they read this law to Josiah. And Josiah was like, said, wow, there's things in here that we're not doing. So they had a revival there. But the thing that I thought was interesting, do you know who Hilkiah the priest was? Does anybody know who Hilkiah the priest was? Who was his boy? Does anybody know who his boy was? 
<laughs> Have you ever heard of Jeremiah the prophet? So Jeremiah the prophet, his dad was Hilkiah. Now, Hilkiah was, he found the book of the law. Jeremiah, his son, spent his life swimming uphill. Most of him. The book of Jeremiah is, or let me just say it like this. Jeremiah had a, had a rough life. And Jeremiah definitely did not make a living by speaking words that everybody liked to hear. So Josiah was a good king, but his boys were bad kings. You remember the story about one of Josiah's boys? His name was Jehoiakim. Now Jehoiakim, um, Jeremiah spent, I don't, I don't remember, I think it was a year, almost a year, writing down a whole bunch of things from God on a scroll. I mean, he spent, I think it was a year, maybe a little bit more. It cost him money because he had to hire a scribe to write it out. They wrote this out, wrote this out, and they took it. Was it Jehoiakim? Jehoiachin. He had a brother, Jehoiachin, too. One of those guys. He took it to him, and they read it to him. And you know what he did? He took his knife out, and he cut it in pieces and threw it in the fire. <laughs> threw it all in the fire. A year's worth of work. That was Jeremiah's work. <sighs> so Jeremiah goes back to God, and he says, he didn't take it. And God says, well, write it again. Oh, So Jeremiah gets to write it again. And he did, yeah, he did something else. But anyway, Jeremiah had an uphill, uphill thing. That's a, kind of a bunny trail, but Hilkiah was Jeremiah's dad. Hilkiah found the book of the law. Jeremiah wrote it out, and the, priest, or the king burned it, and Jeremiah spent his life saying things that nobody liked to hear. So he had an uphill swim, uphill walk. But the title of the message this morning, I'm just going to call it Two Ways. And today we have the choice. We can either walk uphill or we can walk downhill. And it's up to us how we want to walk. The way downhill is going to be smooth. You could go on roller skates if you wanted to, and it would work. It would be smooth. This past summer we were in Montana, and we, our friends took us on a hike. And it was probably an easy hike because he could tell us stories of, of difficult hikes. But for me, that was a terrible, difficult hike. I think it was... I don't remember, three or four miles, and it was up the mountain. I mean, we went probably, I don't know, we went up 2,000 feet, I'm not sure, maybe, it was way up there anyway. There was a peak way up at the top that we were going to, and we went through the woods this way and that way, and up and up and up and up, and, and uh, it was a trek. But when we got up to the top, it was, a, it was beautiful up there. I mean, it was, it was just beautiful. On the same trip, um, talking about the broad road and the and a narrow road, our GPS got mis mixed up, and somebody I don't know who, probably me, uh, had turned off the setting or turned the setting on to avoid highways. Imagine that! And so we were driving in South Dakota on a gravel road right beside Interstate 90. Now, the benefit of the gravel road is that nobody else was on it. But the disadvantage is that we could only go 10 miles an hour. And 
So we're right beside Interstate 90, and all the cars are going back, just flying down the road, and we're just putzing along and can't figure out what's going on. <laughs> then we figured out that we can get this, set the GPS right, and, but it was, I forget, 15 miles to the next exit or something. So it was hard on my patience. But I had to think about when when we're on in life, we are on a on a on a narrow what we call the narrow road, and we see people just flying by, and it looks like life is easy. Anyway, two ways, two ways. Turn with me to Luke chapter sixteen, and we're going to read about two ways today. Verse 19, so this is a story that Jesus told, and I'm sure there's a lot of applications that a person can take from this, but I'd like primarily to think about the two ways, two destinations, and the two different roads that it takes to get there. It says, there was a certain rich man, in verse 19, which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day and drove a BMW. Actually, I don't know if he did that, but he, he had everything. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, who didn't have a fancy car. Now, Lazarus desired to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. That's all he wanted was something to eat, just some scraps. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Not a very pretty sight for someone who liked to have nice things. So time went on, and it came to pass that the beggar Lazarus died and was carried by, angel, by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And he didn't go up to Abraham's bosom. He went down. It says, In hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abram, Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send the beggar, Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf, or a big space, fixed, so that they which would pass from here, hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from you, from there. Then he said, the rich man said, I pray thee therefore, Father, in, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house then. Send him to my brothers and my dad. For I have five brothers that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, 
They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Well, where do we go from here? We had a story. It's a story that Jesus told. I don't know if it was a true story or if it was a, um, what do you call it, a parable or a, a, a story with a lesson. But it's probably a true story, but he was telling it to the Pharisees are telling it to the to the Jewish people who understood what a son of Abraham was Abraham called the rich man his son so it was somebody from that clan that would or that tribe that would have claimed Abraham as a father or as an ancestor or as somebody who was in their in their nationality And I think Jesus was saying that it doesn't matter what you profess, it matters how you live. It matters how you live. Now in the in their thinking, the rich man, which we don't know his name, would have been the one that God was blessing because he had things. And Lazarus the one that the dogs came up to and licked his sores would have been the one that God was not blessing. Now, why did Jesus end up say that Lazarus ended up going to, to Abraham where God was and the one that God blessed went the other way? Why did he say that? In our life, there are two ways. We talk, we, there's a broad way. There's a way that's easy. There's a way that we can actually be on if we don't do anything with our life. Because it's the default way. The way that is just by... Um, it's wide enough that we can hit it without even trying. But then there's a narrow way. The Bible calls it the straight gate, but straight means narrow. It's very narrow. It's crooked. It takes effort to walk. It takes, uh, it's, it, you need to be intentional to go on this road. Very intentional. And it's steep. If you stop, if you run out of steam or energy, or intentionality, or well, you can intend, but if you run out of, if you stop trying, then the uh, a funny thing happens. You start to, you know what word backslide means? You know what that means, backsliding? It simply means that you fall backwards. You slide backwards, like you would go down a hill if you stopped going forward. That's the, that's the narrow way, the straight way, 
the, the narrow way. But the narrow way is the way of life. And the broad way, the one that we can roller skate down, is the way of death, even though it's easy. There's a crooked or a difficult path. It's the way of resistance. And there's an easy path. It's the path of no resistance. But you know, there's also two sides in a spiritual battle. We have the force of darkness. We have the prince of the power of the air. We have the spirit that worketh in the children of disobedience, like it says in Ephesians. And we have the kingdom of light. And we have Christ who has redeemed us, who has died for us, who has the keys of hell and death. And you know when it says he has the keys of hell and death, that word hell there has the thought of, or it's the, the, the Greek word is the grave. In 1 Corinthians 15, 55, I think that same word is translated grave. It's the he has those he has those keys there. Now, yeah. Hell in the New Testament has I think there's three different words that are used. One is called we call it Hades. I think they call it Hades or Hades or something like that is how the Greek pronunciation would be. Which is a play Hades would be like where the soul would go after death, uh, before judgment, but after death. And I don't understand what all happens after death, but there is a place there um, that, they, that the Bible differentiates that. And then there's the word Gehenna, which is also used about the same number of times, which would be the deep, dark... Um, it uses the word incarcerated. Eternally incarcerated would be like in jail forever and ever. There's that. And the third one forget what it was. It was only used once in the Bible. I think it was in Second Peter. In Second Peter, it has to do something along the line of a of a dark of a dark tormented lake of fire but there is the kingdom or Christ has the keys of hell and death now in the bible there's a in the old testament there is two i'm going to call them types of heaven and hell and I thought it was interesting that they're within sight, well, maybe not quite within sight, but they're not far apart. But do you remember when Lot came to Abraham, or in the Bible, when Lot came to Abraham and he said, excuse me, Abraham came to Lot, and he said, let's separate. And he said, you choose where you want to go, and, and I'll take the other place. And... Lot chose the plain of Sodom. It was a well-watered plain. It was nice. And uh, it was good. And it was downhill. Remember that? Because Abraham lived, they were up in the, well, Mount Moriah is where he offered Isaac as a, 
on or tried to offer Isaac. Mount Moriah is also where say Mount Moriah. It was in that area that that uh, the temple was built as well. It was up in that area. But Lot chose the plain of Sodom downhill. What happened to Sodom? It became a there was fire that rained down. There was there was um, it became uninhabitable. And some people feel that in that area is where the Dead Sea would be. It's just it's just wasteland over there. Just wasteland. But Jerusalem is on the hill that Abraham was looked out over or was in that area up there. Abraham was where he offered Isaac. Jerusalem was up there. And heaven is called the New Jerusalem. Now Jerusalem was built up on a hill. And before it was Jerusalem, it was called Jebus or Jabus. And David, and it was supposedly unconquerable. And David told his, excuse me, David was the one that conquered it, or his, when he was king. And he told his men that whoever conquers the city or gets access will be his general. And Joab, his cousin, got into the city. You know how he got into the city? He crawled up the drain pipe. That's kind of a nasty way to get in, but he crawled up the drain pipe to get into the city. And they conquered it, and it became known as the city of David. But it was a, it was an ideal place. It was it was you had to walk up the hill to get to it. I understand. I've never been there actually. David could probably tell us how it how it is. But it it was up on a hill. And it was, um, it's a little more, probably, as I understand, a little more barren maybe around there. But the thing that the path of least resistance leads us to death. The path that ever that is wide leads us to death. It leads us down the hill. It leads us down. The path that takes energy, the narrow way, goes up the hill. We could say one goes down to where the fire is. One goes up to where heaven is. But as we look at the rich man and we look at Lazarus, what paths did they take in life? What, what paths? What did the rich man do? Now, the rich man was not an idle man. He was not, he was not, um, he was not a lazy man, I don't think. But did the rich man, was he intentional about where he went? And did he try to? Did he try to fulfill what the law was or said or the intent of the law? And what path did Lazarus take in life? 
We don't know. We're not really told. But we know that an unintentional life puts, it just automatically puts us on the broad road. In Sunday school, the, there was a thought given this morning that, I forget how it was said, but something about our daily walk with God, our meditation, our devotional, our devotions, our um, daily feeding with God. If we skip that, does not necessarily mean that we miss a sale or we miss um, a blessing today because I mean um, that we're we have an immediate negative consequence but it is an investment in a relationship that at judgment day will become all important that relationship is all important <clears throat> And I think we do well to, to meditate on its importance now because it's easy for it to become abstract, to be abstract. It's not something that, it, that we put in, that we can um, measure right now. But we do well to ponder that, to, to think on that, to think about what our relationship with Christ is like and make that first in our life and not down as a afterthought as an afterthought and i think that's one thing that where the rich man did that he he felt like god was blessing him because his iras were doing well and he felt like god was blessing him because he was able to keep his driveway in good working and, and keep the pavement up to date or whatever he had to do and his vehicles were good and and that consumed so much of his time that he neglected some of the more important things. And the beggar that kept slinking into his dining room was a real annoyance. And he had the mangy dog and all. Anyway, he just he didn't treat the beggar very nice, but he but he put higher priority on things that benefited himself. Now, Lazarus, we don't know what his life was like, but he was a poor man and God had mercy on him. Was it an accident that they ended up how they did? Or were they intentional? And what happens to the unintentional life? We already talked about that a little bit. I think we do well, all of us, to spend time meditating and reflecting on where we would like to be in eternity and count the cost for how, how it takes to go what it takes to go from here to there and be intentional about about serving the Lord about living about understanding what he would like for from us what he would want from us God does not want us to earn our salvation but he wants us to accept his grace 
And he also wants us to love him. You know, in uh, the thing about loving, loving God first, loving our brother as ourself, Jesus said, upon all this hangs all the law and the prophets. If you love the Lord with all your heart, if I love the Lord with all my heart, I will not do something that would hurt him. I would not do something that intentionally that would would um, be shady. Because I love the Lord with all my heart. If I love my neighbor or my brother or sister as myself, I won't do something that will hurt them or or rip them off or put me on a higher place than them or take advantage of them or whatever. And I think what Jesus is saying is that's how you live above the law is because you love the Lord with all your heart. You love your neighbors as yourself. You live by love. And because you love, you actually do everything that the law says in the, the moral law says. You do that because of love. It doesn't excuse you from doing it, but you're not doing it because you have to. You're doing it because of a different reason. But it takes intentionality to do that. We can't. We don't just automatically do that. And sometimes it takes meditation. It takes quiet, a quiet uh, reflection to maybe analyze where we're at, where we are going, and let the Spirit work in our life to make changes if we need to. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. There's a few verses there that, um, that talk about that, that way. But in verse 12, verse 12 is what we call the golden rule. I'm sure everybody knows what that is. But Jesus started that, or had that verse there with some other verses. It says, Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter ye in at the straight gate, or the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. It's just the intentional ones, the ones that the Spirit draws, but also the ones that have, an, have a desire to do that. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by the way they act, or by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns? 
or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. It's intentional. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Your fruits aren't right. Is kind of what he's saying. Therefore, or because of this, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Jesus spoke as one who knew what he was talking about and not one that just read from the book or read from a scroll. Or You know, there's a, the straight gate the narrow, the narrow gate. The Spirit draws all men if their hearts are tender. The way is open to all, but few are willing to hear and, li- and actually do it. Let's turn to 2 Peter 2. And I think I'll close with this. But... Peter, I'm sorry, 3, 2 Peter chapter 3. But Peter was a, was the, probably the oldest disciple that Jesus had. He was the leader, maybe, among the disciples. Peter was the one that Jesus said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. I don't think he built it on Peter, but he was talking about the rock of his church, or the rock being his church, himself being the rock, maybe. But Peter was writing a warning or a remembrance, even though our minds are pure. He says he will stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. And this is just a reminder to be intentional about our life, about what we are will face in the future. And like was 
mentioned. Our relationship with Christ, we, it takes faith to believe. And it's abstract. It's not something that we, that we realize like, like uh, actual matter right now. But it takes faith. And yet, when we stand before God, that all of a sudden t- will become a concrete or the Bible says our faith becomes sight. It becomes a real thing. And all the preparations that we have made or the relationship that we have cultivated will become very, very important. So let's read Second Peter chapter 3. The second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, or people that don't believe, walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers died, or fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of the God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. In other words, there will be an eternity coming and there will be no end to it. Be intentional about where you spend that eternity. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, nevertheless we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent, that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, 
lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. You know, there are two ways. One is broad and one is narrow. One takes work and one is where everyone will go, or one that everyone else is on that is not on the narrow way. And it's up to us in this life right now to decide which one we will be on. Let's stand for prayer. Father, thank you this morning for your word and your will and your instruction. Thank you for your promise. Thank you that you have raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places with you that in the ages to come we might see the exceeding riches of your grace. Lord, would your spirit guide each one of us in our life and in the way that we need to go. Just be near to us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.